Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Range of the Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. With me, as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, April 19th, and Chris, with the New York primaries today, I want to uh, have what I'm going to call our politics podcast. So we'll start by talking about kind of the Bernie Sanders topic, if the big bank should break up. Then I want to talk about if uh, Facebook should try to stop Donald Trump. And then finally, we'll talk, wrap it up by talking about our updated thoughts on the primaries. So, Chris, why don't we kick it off by starting with the big banks, and I'll provide a little bit of overview. So, Bernie Sanders, obviously, one of his big proposals is break up the banks. And I think an active question is, uh, today, ignoring the politics of it, should capitalists actually support a breakup of particularly the big banks? So, why don't you take the investment thesis in question from there? Well, I look at this and say, uh, should they be broken up? I wouldn't want anything quite as formulaic as requiring them to be broken up. Mm -hmm. I think they should have much more stringent capital requirements that would then allow them to react. And I think many of them would be uh, smaller. Um, But I think the idea of too big to fail banks should be at least as uh, toxic to good capitalists as it is to good socialists such as Bernie. Um, should shareholders want that from an investment perspective? You know, it's interesting. Um, when uh, Standard Oil was broken up, it was broken up for uh, antitrust purposes, but ended up being wildly uh, successful from a shareholder perspective. The same could be true from the banks. So I would say, uh, yes, they should be. Or if it makes sense for shareholders, you're saying yes. From a shareholder perspective. Yep. So I think exactly what you're saying. If The big bank's argument is, as we get bigger, our size and scale allows us to compete better with foreign banks, and the scale allows us to provide better service to clients, which makes us a better bank, which should make us more profitable. But investors are kind of saying, no, that's not the case. Uh, All of these banks trade for a discount to book value. Book value, to put it simply, is the sum of all the capital that's been put in, plus all the earnings that have been retained. And when you trade under book value, it means you've destroyed value by retaining all those earnings. Uh, JP Morgan's trading right at book value. Goldman Sachs is at 90% of book. Morgan Stanley's at 75% of book. Bank of America and Citigroup are below 65%. The only bank that trades above book is is Wells Fargo, above 1.5x. And it kind of gets worse if you go to Europe where all the banks there are at all-time lows, price the books, the lowest P's they've ever been at. Uh, So a lot of analysts are saying, hey, banks, you trade below book value. Why don't you break up and you can go to your these individual parts and those parts should actually trade for book value and you could realize 30 to 50% gains by pursuing this. And, and the ar- argument uh, that they somehow need the scale to compete internationally is, is somewhat absurd. And, and one of the ways to look at that is how frequently they're acting as consortiums anyways. I yep. mean, they have each other's phone numbers. So if their balance sheets are inadequate to some deal they want to work on, they can coordinate. Yep. So when a uh, when a big merger is going through, they'll often line up financing from a bank. And these big mergers, they're not going to JP Morgan and saying, hey, will you lend us $6 billion? They go to all six banks and say, hey, will each of you guys lend us $1 billion? So it's not really like you need huge mm-hmm. scale to support these mergers because you can just offload the risk to a bunch of different banks. But I think that if they... Uh 
the idea of capitalism uh, requires that people uh, own consequences, good and bad, that, they, that are the results of their decisions. Uh, in the 1800s, most American financial institutions did not have limited liability mm -hmm. at the equity level, which I thought was wholly appropriate, you know, so that uh, you could, if you were a shareholder at a bank, you could be called on for more capital uh, than you uh, put in. Uh, that certainly changes the uh, tenor of who you want to lend to. Now, do you think so? I mean, I don't think that's even tenable in today's society, though. Like, if you think of a J.P. Morgan, a mm -hmm. $100 billion bank, if you had unlimited liability on a personal level, like, there, w there would be no shareholders. You'd have, you wouldn't have something that big and complicated. Yeah. No, these are for smaller institutions. Uh, but it simply made it more partnership-like. Yeah, more partnership. But I just... I don't think that model can exist in today's. It just, you know, once a company's a billion dollars, who's going to lend that at a person if you're personally liable for it? Goldman Sachs is a very large partnership. It's a very large partnership. Was a very large partnership. Yeah. Okay. okay. Just, I, I just, I think, I think that uh, could you uh, have? I mean, this is part of the argument that we shouldn't have these institutions that are so uh, systemically yep. important, yep. Uh, well, and that it, it could be married with the idea of once you have capital requirements that would really. Uh, limit their scale. Uh, it could be relevant to kind of the tiers beneath these mega banks. Yep, I, I think also something along. If we're talking regulation, something along the line of e taking the leverage, uh, the allowed leverage, even further down could be interesting. And just say, look, you know, it doesn't matter if it's debt or equity. The equity will it's safer, so it's just going to cost less. So why not just reduce the leverage on these banks? Is another. And, and, and once that's done, then it lets them sort out what scale they should be at. Mm -hmm. So forth. It's less. It's. I like it because it's less prescriptive. All right. So I, I'm just going to go through a couple more reasons why these banks are trading at a discount. I think the answer is uh, you trade for below tangible book value because the results just aren't there right now. Goldman Sachs wrapped up the reporting of the large banks' earnings today, and it's just been a rough quarter for all of the banks. Uh, five of the six posted revenue drops. Goldman Sachs revenue was down 40%. Their net income, I think, was down 60% from memory. So all of them, they're just not doing well. That's why they're trading below book value and why investors are saying you're destroying value and maybe you're, you should break up. Chris, so we've talked about why they trade below book. Uh, they're probably not going to break up, though it might make sense. Uh, but do you think there's any opportunity to invest in the banks today? And I don't know your opinion on this. We might have different opinions. Yeah, Go ahead. You, know, you know, I should say um, I own no positions in any of the large banks right now. A quick disclosure, I used to work for J.P. Morgan, so I own a very tiny pick for bit from the employee stock purchase program. But I'll just discuss gotcha. that. Go ahead. And um, I would also say, though, that... Um, if there was a time where I saw an opportunity where kind of I had exposure, say a closed end fund, yeah. I'd be perfectly happy to have these as an exposure. If I could get it somehow at a discount or if I was exposed to them as a counterparty or something like that, I'm, I'm comfortable with them, but not seeking them out as an opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think on the whole, there might be a little opportunity here. The banks look cheap. Their balance sheets are strong. Rising interest rates will probably help them. Valuations are low. I kind of look at it as you're not going to get rich quickly, but if you invest in them with a long-term time horizon, you're probably likely to do pretty well over the long-term investing at today's prices. Uh, unless you have anything there, you want to go to Facebook versus Trump? Facebook versus Trump. Facebook versus Trump. So I'll go ahead and kick it off with some background. Uh, every week, Facebook employees vote in an internal poll whether they want uh, about what they want their CEO slash founder, Mark Zuckerberg, to talk about in upcoming Q&As. And uh, last month, the fifth most popular question was, what responsibility does Facebook have to prevent President Trump in 2017? 
I think it raises a lot of interesting questions, and I think there are some investing implications that we'll talk about in a bit. But why don't you start with the interesting questions raised by this, uh, by what responsibility Facebook would have? Sure. It's, it's interesting. It's kind of bold the way they phrased it, uh, as if Facebook should be this kind of player in public policy uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and should be affecting the political process. It, it's absolutely bold. But when you think about it, I wonder... Is it scary? Like, you know, Facebook, Google, I think both of us are a little too old for Snapchat. But when you think of these things, they're things that everybody you use every day and you think it's completely innocent, but they can have such huge effects on on your life. And I'll just give some examples. Facebook, uh, they did some studies and they proved that by changing people's news feed, they can alter real world, real world voter turnout and they can change people's emotions. Uh, so if you think about what they could do if they uh, started removing pro-Trump stories, they could really devastate the Donald Trump, uh, the Donald Trump campaign. Uh, Facebook has no legal responsibility to give you an unfiltered view on what's happening. So it's interesting to think about if they can stop President Trump. Go ahead, Chris. Um, I wouldn't say it's scary. I, th- I think that Facebook would be very careful about the use of their product. I'd also say we live in a society where half or so of the GDP is spent by the government or directly controlled by the government in terms of allocated through regulation. And so if you had a 50% allocation in something in terms of where your money's going, the idea that you'd have a say in that sounds sensible to me, especially where you're talking about policies that aren't just your personal preference, but are applicable to the functioning and running of your business in Facebook's case, I think that that would be fair to apply both to immigration and to international trade. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So uh, why don't we talk about implications for investing? I think the big one here is on regulation. Do you want to talk about it or you want me to talk about it? I'll talk about it. Okay. So uh, you know, if Facebook has the power to... Uh, to change people's behaviors, their emotions, and everything. I think it's interesting to think about if they should be regulated. Uh, just as an example, the FTC didn't allow any TV stations to own TV stations if it would result in you reaching more than 39% of America's population. Uh, one of the reasons they gave for that was they didn't want one group controlling a too much of America's kind of news feed or reach to Americans. Facebook can easily reach almost 100% of Americans. So isn't that an argument that they should be regulated? And if so... What, re- what effects does that have on their profits? Are they going to be limited to a specific ROE? Do their legal costs go up? Do their lawyer costs go up? All of that. So I just wonder uh, I wonder about the regulation. Go ahead. I, I don't know if we're going to have to have our first um, uh, uh, language disclaimer if I say <laughs> hell no, only because there's nobody, including in the government, that I would trust enough to be the observer of the observers here. Yep. Um, but but it is uh, cautionary, and the only reason why I would say it's cautionary is um, I would generally um, I'm very pro um, modern technology, uh, even as far as it relates to data gathering, uh, data mining. Um, I, I think it's useful. I like cookies because I don't like things advertising to me that I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's all premised on the idea that people are appealing to your reason and that you get to accept or reject based on what you see as costs and benefits. The ability to very effectively manipulate people. Mm-hmm. You know, If you are sad, you are much more uh, susceptible as a consumer. Um, I, I think that kind of thing... Uh, 
is uh, maybe worrisome, but uh, what the heck, I would think that competitors can uh, beat up each other uh, on uh, any uh, bad uh, behavior yeah. that's uh, in that direction. And I would just say, as you said, the ability to manipulate, I think it also shows just how good of a business Facebook has the potential to be. If you think, oh, they can change behavior to get more people to vote, isn't that kind of an advertiser's dream? If you can change behavior to get people to vote, you can probably change behavior to get people to go buy a Coke. So I think it shows just how much pricing power they're likely to have with advertisers in the long term. All right, Chris, let's head over to politics. Mm -hmm. So uh, what kind of sparked our politics discussion today is New York's heading to the polls, and I wanted to get some updated thoughts on where we go from here. Uh, What really kicked today's podcast off was this line from a Wall Street Journal article for someone who's voting for Kasich. He said, I don't know any of Kasich's policies, but – and this is a quote – He's not Trump or Cruz. He seems not insane, which I, I just loved that line. So where do you think we go from here uh, on the political front? Well, Trump will have a good day today, mm-hmm. as will uh, Secretary uh, Clinton. Uh, although there's some very interesting machinations in terms of Cruz tactics around specific delegates yep. from New York. He might be able to pick uh, away a few of them uh, based on specific areas with very low Republican representation to, where you can get some low-hanging fruit. Looking ahead to uh, the California primaries, one thing they've mentioned is uh, in California, each kind of little – what each district gives a specific amount of delegates. And they've said Nancy Pelosi's district might have – four Republicans mm-hmm. in it, but those four Republicans still get three delegates. Yeah. So looking it's, ahead, it's, it's the same thing in New York. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so I think that, uh, I think that uh, still, boy, uh, nobody on the Republican side is on track to a majority going into the convention. Uh, I believe that uh, Trump will be south of 1,237. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is obviously an investing podcast. So one thing we like is odds. Uh, we went on to predictit.com or .org. I can't remember. I don't recall. People can look Google it. But uh, I've got some odds for you. And let's see. Let's discuss if you think any of these are under mm-hmm. or overvalued. Odds of the Democratic nominee as we uh, kind of went to press. Clinton was 88% and Sanders was 12% to get it. Odds of a, the Republican nomination, Trump was 60% to get it, Cruz was 28%, and Kasich was about 8%. The odds of a brokered Republican convention was about 57%. And odds for President Clinton at 67%, Trump 25%, both Cruz and Sanders were about 10%, and Kasich was about 5%. Mm-hmm. Any of those that you would like to put money on, put money against, anything? Well, I have in each of these cases. Um, I think that Sanders at 12 is high uh, relative to the true odds. So you would, you think it's below 12% that I, I Sanders do. wins the Democratic I nomination? Clinton Agreed. is better than 88% because I believe she's better than the inverse. Uh, it's yeah, less agreed. likely than the inverse of that that yeah, she's, I think yeah. she won't be indicted. Um, I think the uh, Trump odds at 60 is somewhat high, although... It's getting pretty sensible. It had been wildly high for a while. The one I think is interesting here is if Trump's 60% likely to win, the only way he wins is in a non-brokered convention, I would say. So I think the odds of a brokered convention would have to be below 60%. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, the the, the, uh, most interesting thing, this was going to be my punchline, but you beat me to it, is is that if you look at Trump at 60, brokered convention at 57, uh, Trump... In a brokered convention, let me just say this 
boldly is let's just call it zero zero because the inside baseball is Cruz has done so well at getting his delegates on they're committed to Trump on the first ballot but as soon as the first ballot's done they're gone he he was working on this before he was a teenager it's it's Trump first ballot or Trump not at all so just going going yes brokered yes Trump seems like a kind of a good arbitrage play um yeah no I think that uh I think it's it's one or the other. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, you look at this and say, I, I, I think, I think a broker convention is quite likely at this point. I think it's, I think it's somewhat better than fifty-seven. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, I think Kasich at eight is. I think Kasich's close to close. Is it's a little silly to say you're less positive than eight, but I'm less positive than eight on Kasich. You think there's no chance? I think there's no chance. So you think Cruz um, would win the brokered convention, or do you think a, a kind Cruz of white knight or a white knight? Who would be the him? white knight at this point? Do you think Ben Sass from Nebraska, Senator Sass? Okay, you um, you know politics uh, much more than me. I honestly don't know. I was just um, asking, but uh, but he would be, and then and then once you get into the general election. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is still, let's say, Clinton unindicted at 67 sounds more or less sensible. It sounds with the agreed, ballpark. Agreed. Um, I, I could answer that, but I, I don't have an interesting answer to that. Um, Trump, boy, 25. I mean, all of these other guys, they're just... You know, one I one I do think is interesting is if Sanders is 12% for the Democratic nomination, and mm-hmm. we both agree that's a little too high, he's 10% for president. So that's effectively saying if he wins the Democratic nomination... He's, if you do kind of the math, he's 85 to 90% chance to win the general election. That feels high to me, mm-hmm. and I disagree with his odds of the Democratic nomination. So it just 10% feels high. I think he would be good against these specific Republican candidates, mm-hmm. but 90% is pretty high. In, in a lot of these scenarios, one of the things that's hard is that this is going to be a sample size of one. Yeah, you know, yeah. If Sanders is the nominee, then throw out all your priors. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a little bit it, of a tricky. Good point. I uh, I agree with you on a lot of these. I think both Trump and Cruz are have a really difficult time in the general election against anyone. I I just kind of lean towards those being high because I think they're just unelectable. To yeah. be honest with you, and it's, the Republican yeah. Party, they'll be bickering until the end. And, and this yeah. is this is assuming assuming that Mrs. Clinton is eligible to vote <laughs> yeah. uh, come uh, November, which depending on how things work out from a legal perspective, she may or may not be. Great. Uh, I think we've covered everything. Anything else you want to say? I have nothing to add. Great. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder: if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, two housekeeping notes. A reminder, the podcast now has an email address. If you have any feedback, please be sure to email us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. And uh, the other housekeeping note, if you currently follow us on SoundCloud, we want to let you know that we're about to switch over to Audio Boom for hosting. So if you follow us on SoundCloud, you're going to need to switch over to Audio Boom or kind of follow us on iTunes or Stitcher instead. Uh, why are we switching? We consistently get feedback that Chris's voice is 10 times less manly than mine. So uh, we're going to partner with Audio Boom, and the partnership is going to help us invest in improving the sound quality. Go ahead, Chris. And, Anything and, on your manly I'm, voice? Uh, I'm getting over something. Yes, I will yes. uh, hopefully be at full volume for whatever that's worth next time. Full Please, manly volume. Although you have our email address, don't email about my volume until next time. The reason we have, we've been out the past week is Chris was getting a call on our last one. So he's getting over it. Brave through a podcast today. Uh, we'll do another one either Thursday or Friday. Uh, disclosures, I mentioned I'm long a little bit of JPM. Both Chris and I have bet very heavily against a Trump presidency, I think it's fair to say. Any other disclosures here? I have nothing to add. Great. We will talk to you guys uh, later this week. Thanks again.